Okay, so what a nice vote on Bash Vayashev, as always. Vote from Shmerel Varchevke. Okay, I don't know how many people heard of him. He was from Matika Shmir from Boshemtev. He brings from the early, from the early Tamil Hamagid. Imre Pinchas brings a lot from him. See, he talks an interesting vote he talks about over there by. Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik, right, the, the brothers brought the um, Busem Ruh Elavian. They said Lushnahara, but Yosef HaTzadik was Lushnahara, that he was eating Ayvim Menachai. Okay, so how does that work? Yosef HaTzadik eating Ayvim Menachai. Uh, it's not something you'd expect from Yosef HaTzadik. So he said something very interesting. He says that when there's a Hava between people, and they're eating together, then what happens is they're being mal and the from the Achila together. Okay, they're working together, and there's a Hava, so they're connected. So together they're able to accomplish something and be masakin the food that they're eating. However, when there's no ahava between them, so now there's a period, there are two different pages, so it's affecting what they're eating, and it's, there's, there's, there's a, a period in the tikkun oichel. In other words, there's a certain tikkun that should be accomplished, a certain accomplishment that you're looking to, to accomplish from being mal and tzoytzer from nachila, which, you know, it sounds like very lofty ideas, but when there's a ahava, it's done together, and it causes a tikkun. And when there's a period between them, period levovus, automatically it's, it's, it's um, causing a period in what's happening. And that's what's called Eivim Menachai. It's being separated, you know, the wrong way. It's not being connected the way it should be. And that's called Eivim Menachai. And that's what they were bringing, the Busem Rodaviyam. And if there would be a ahava between them, then that would be accomplished. Okay, so it's a very Rebbe That's what it sounds like, at least. But yes, when I see a word like that, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it made me think. It made me think of an idea that so often things are happening, and we don't realize that the underlying problem is that there's no ahava. And if people would be loving each other, and people would be connected, then automatically so many other things would fall into place, so many other things would be happening on their own. Now let me explain what that means, and I don't want anyone to take this wrong, I'll tell you why. Just recently, I was dealing with a man, and he went with his wife to, to someone, and they both you know, had a lot of complaints about each other, and the first thing that this Udom Gudel said was, I see there's no ahava between the two of you. And if there's no ahava between the two of you, that's why it's like this. I think that's really what you have to work on. Now, he or she or both of them maybe were very turned off by hearing that. I mean, well, of course there's no ahava between us, right? That's what a lot of people think. You know what she's doing to me? You know what he's doing to me? What kind of... You tell me there's no ahava? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist for that one. And I'm not going to go into what, it, what he did mean or what he didn't mean, but I think what the point really is, is that so often we don't realize how it's not the issue that we're dealing with as much as it's really just the lack of Ahava, and you'll see that. When people love each other, when people are close with each other, they'll automatically be able to overlook certain novelists. As a matter of fact, they won't even pick up on certain novelists. They won't even be bothered by certain things, forget about, forget about turning them into bigger things. And so often, when, when things are becoming issues, it's not because of the issue. And you hear this all the time. Somebody's repeating, you know what You know what he told me? You know what she said? This and this and this and this. So what's the problem? What do you mean what's the problem? You don't realize... Now, no, I don't realize, I'll tell you why, because I don't have any of that animosity, any of that hatred, so I don't realize the implication that you just heard in those words. And so often it's the underlying negative emotions that are behind it. Now, what I think this realization does to us is, it, it makes us realize sometimes that it's not the issue that we're dealing with that has to be fixed. It's not the complaint that we want to argue about, who's right and wrong. It's that this is just emphasizing a certain lack of love and connection. And sometimes when, we were, when we're ready to try to work on that, or at least understand that, you know what, maybe it's not really this issue. Maybe there's something I could do to promote more connection and more feeling in this relationship. You know, again, it's a very general idea, but I think that sometimes it's just like a little, mm, now I realize, you're right. I was getting stuck on something. I didn't realize that it's coming from somewhere else. Now, when we talk about promoting love and connection, 
It doesn't mean that I'm going to start blaming my spouse for not having love and connection. It's not, it doesn't mean that I'm going to start turning this into the issue. It means that I'm ready to work on it, not work on this little piece of the puzzle, as much as let me see what I could do to promote more good feeling and more connection. And, and maybe when all that is there, everything else will fall away. And very often that's what happens. So sometimes you see an issue like Ivan Nachai is just a byproduct of the fact that we're not connected. And when you're not connected, a lot of different things happen, a lot of different things you know, fall out of place. And, and then, and, and sometimes it looks like that's the issue, and it's not really the issue anymore. So that's something, and you say the same thing with children, by the way, I just want to mention quickly, a lot of what we'll be talking about over here is kind of chabunim. With children as well, sometimes when you don't have the right feeling for a child, and it could be very justified, it could be a child that's very challenging and, 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 and you know, causing a lot of snafish, but when that's there, automatically so many other things are problems. And when that's not there, or there's more feeling for a child, or at least there's, more, there's less resentment, then sometimes you know, that falls away. And sometimes there's so much you could do to promote the good feeling between you and the child, and really that could take care of so many other issues, as I see very often. So let me try to mention a few questions over here today. I have on my hotline, people leave me messages, not only emails. So with emails, what happens is usually people are more elaborate, and, and they you know, to talk about the situation. But when people leave a message on the phone, it's a shorter message. So I, I collected like I collected this week eight questions that people leave over, shorter version of questions, and we're gonna to be touching on four in this year and a miss from another four in the Yiddish year soon. So let's let's try that for now. Okay. Question number one. Thank you so much for your help and may you continue to help call you so. Oh man, you're welcome. Okay. How do I remind my child about Negovasa and Benching? So if the, if the question would stop over here, how do you remind your child about Megalasar and Benching? Well, either Yiddish, Yiddish or English, whatever he understands best, right? But let's understand what the question really is. He gets annoyed and shrugs it off. So we're talking about a child who he already tried to remind and he doesn't like it. Okay, very important to, to understand that. His attitude is, leave me alone, just stop reminding me. I see he washes and doesn't bench. And even the washing is just beardy. He doesn't like it when I ask him, but what am I supposed to do? Okay. Right, very good question. He doesn't like it when I ask him, what am I supposed to do? So it seems that this mother or father is asking the child, did you wash, did you bench? And the child's getting very annoyed. So the question is, what do I do? So the first thing I want to say, and I'll, I'll be brief, because I, I want to be able to do four questions at the same time as we usually do one. I first want to mention one point, and that is that it's typical. It's typical. And the reason why I'm saying it's typical is because so often people are relieved to hear that, oh, it's not a major issue, people deal with this. Now, it's not an issue that has to be shoved under the carpet, maybe you don't see it. I'm not saying that it's typical because it's not a problem. I'm saying it's typical because it's not a, it's not a, it's not a very scary situation. Sometimes people think, oh, my, my child's half off the derrick. He's eight years old. He forgot the bench. You know, okay? And sometimes it's even older. Whatever it is, it's typical. It's a normal challenge. And don't panic on the short-term results of, I did get him today to bench. I didn't get him today to bench. And point number two, uh, being mechanic in general doesn't mean controlling children. Your chinuch is not going to be judged by how many times you got your child to bench, or if you got him to always remember on his own. Your chinuch is education. You're teaching him. Now remember, he's still a kutin, I would assume, maybe not, but chances are you're dealing with somebody who's not even mechiv b'mitzvah as much as you just have a chiv of chinuch. So keep on reminding him in only in a way that's going to be helpful and, and be ed- educational, right? Because so, if not, then, then you're not really uh, doing anything with him. Right? Chinuch is not about controlling, it's about teaching. So if you're teaching something in a way that it's being taught, and it's being accepted and received well, then, then you're a winner. And if not, you're not really, you're not really um, um, doing anything that has to do with chinuch. Now, reminding and nagging a child is, difficult, is different than encouraging a child. And very much has to do with the tone of voice and the implication. No, um, no, you forgot, did you remember the bench? Did you not? So often there's a certain, you're implying that you assume that he forgot, or you're just nervous and frustrated already, or you can't handle the fact that you don't think he did it on his own. And very often, that's, that's what's getting in people's ways. It's, it's the tone. 
your child may not be bothered so much by your asking, and you might notice that you could be asking other questions and he's fine with as much as how you're asking. So that's first of all. So just, just take it into consideration. Again, I don't know how it sounds. I'm just giving a few suggestions. Another thing is that sometimes you want to remind everyone at once, singling out a child and say, did you remember the bench? Now, even if you notice that the other one did, and even if everyone noticed, and you say, okay, who benched and who didn't, who, who needs a, a Zmiris to bench, sometimes reminding the public is something that gets taken so much better and it's not uh, critical or challenging for anyone um, personally. Okay? Um, obviously, sometimes you just bench out loud or you just do your own thing. Aside from being that a nice way to remind everyone else to bench or to wash, sometimes that's really the biggest chinach. Because when a child sees you do something, it's so much easier to copy, to imitate, to emulate, you know, to, to realize that that's the right thing to do. And even if that doesn't work as quickly as you know, um, nagging someone, sometimes it just goes in deeper. So that's, that's also something to remember uh, when it comes to the definition of chinach. Another thing I just want to mention is that sometimes children will feel and it could, they could be wrong, but they still feel that way, and it's good to realize why they feel that way, that the only time you see them or notice them or say something to them is when you're trying to remind them to bench, okay? So instead of complimenting them and talking to them and noticing everything they did do, right, and noticing, you know, all the good things they did throughout the day, you just zoom in on, hey, did you do that yet? Or you forgot that also, and, and it's already the third time I'm reminding you this. And sometimes that's the nagging part, like, okay, oh, you stop. You stop, you're here a whole day to see what I don't do right. And sometimes we don't even realize how much of our interaction with children sometimes, especially the challenging ones. So much of our interaction, so much percent of our interaction with them is, is, is negative. And that's something to realize that it's something children really don't like. So when you're wondering why he doesn't like to hear it, again, it's just suggestions, nobody's taking anything personal. But think about how much of this, how much percent of your communication with the child uh, is this. Now the last thing I want to say is that could be the underlying issue. And especially as a child grows older, and there's a certain resistance to being told to bench. So when he's 9, 10, or he's 8, 7, and he's still lazy, is one thing. But when a child's getting older, and you're seeing a certain resistance, then you always have to take it into account, like, maybe something else is really bothering this child. Is, why is the child so unhappy? Why does, he have, why does he have this resistance? What's that stubbornness? And sometimes when you sit down to think about it, or talk to your wife about it, to your spouse, to your husband about it, or to anyone, or to your child's rabbi, or teacher, or whoever it may be, you might start realizing that there's other things that you could do to make this child a little happier and calmer, and then many things will resolve on their own. Similar to what I said before about Ahava resolving other issues. Sometimes when there's a certain feeling, whether it's a feeling between you and the child, or a feeling with the child about himself, other things can be resolved. I'll never forget, I had a, a friend, a, 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 a bocher, he was an elder bocher, he was in Shidduch, buried there very desperately, and he was making trouble in Yeshiva. And I remember every day, the Mishgir Manal would come and say this and that, now you were late, you were this, you were early, you disturbed, you there. And every day was like something else. Till one day, I'll never forget it, he said, Rashiva, I want to tell you something. You know, you keep on coming with all these things, I need one thing. I need one thing. When I have that one thing that I need, he didn't even say what it was. He was implying he did a Shidduch. When I have that one thing, everything will be taken care of, you hear? Everything. So stop coming with all your things. And sometimes it's like such a good message, you know? A child needs a certain amount of happiness, a certain amount of good feeling, a certain amount of hours, maybe something's bothering him. Very often, when you come up with that one thing that he really needs, or a few things that he needs, so many other things fall away. So instead of picking up on those little things, uh, sometimes you'll realize that, that uh, you know, those are all just byproducts of a certain unhappiness that a child's experiencing. And instead of focusing on those and making the child feel like, oh, that's all you care about, not about me, on the contrary, I care only about you, and I want you to be happy, and usually that could um, settle a lot of different things. Okay. Question number two. Hi, thanks for your shirim. I'm just writing what was written down for me from my outline. Um, someone else listens to the messages. I hope nobody minds that, and, and just writes it down. Thanks for the shirim given. Thank you for the shirim. They have given us great insight on marriage and chinach. My question is, my son is a great boy, Bokshem. We are trying to get him used to saying please and thank you. Yet he's very stubborn about it. He will rather take himself... 
and not have to or not have to say to not have to say please or thank you I feel like it's a control issue and I'd appreciate any advice thanks again okay basically right very typical question you have a child who's resisting saying please and thank you you want this say please no I don't want to or you want this say thank you I'll give it to you right no I'll take myself or don't give me so like, like we always mention and it's a little similar to what we just said before by the previous question if something doesn't work stop trying Okay, so if, if nudging your child about negavas intervention or nudging your child about please and thank you is not working, then I think you should stop whatever you were trying till now. You could try something else. I don't think you should give up. Giving up is not is never is never something I ever suggested yet about anything. But the, I think you should stop doing whatever um, you're trying. Now sometimes it's a power struggle. Sometimes it's an ego. You know, what do you mean? I'm, I'm gonna let him get away with this? And sometimes it's your need to control that get, that's getting this kid crazy and he's and he can't handle being controlled. And when you give up on it, maybe it will be easier for him. Again, it's just a suggestion. Maybe by stopping to demand it, it will be easier for him to say it. You, you don't realize how much of the stubbornness is not his stubbornness, it's yours. Now it could be you're more right for being stubborn, and it's more correct to say please and thank you. That's why you feel that it's justified to be stubborn, but sometimes it's your stubbornness that's actually causing his. So that's something to remember. Now sometimes, let, let me just you know, mention this point, sometimes it's actually the demand or the control issue that's getting in the way, and nothing else. In other words, if you tell your child, listen, it would mean so much to me if you say thank you. You don't have to. I love giving you. Maybe it will be easier. Maybe it's only when you tell them, if you say thank you, I'll give it to you. How can you not say thank you? Yes, you have to. Maybe that's what's getting in the way. So sometimes you don't even have to, you know, shy away from the whole topic as much as you say it in a way that he, does, that he feels, um, you know, much, uh, much calmer about or much easier about. Sometimes with a little bit of humor or a smile, you know, when a child says, I need this thing. Oh, could you please have it? Sure. So with a smile and, a, and, and like a, a cute joke or something, you might also just make it easier for him to... Um, and sometimes the kid won't like the joke, he won't appreciate it, you can stop that too. Whatever doesn't work, don't, don't try to keep on, on being stubborn about something. You know, it, it's, not, it's, it's not helpful now. I do want to say something, and that's when it comes to please and thank you, it might just be a good example. Very many things we look at like childish things. We spoke about this recently about Kibbutz Avoyim, okay? It, like being a childish mitzvah. Kissing the mezizah. Oh, did you kiss the mezizah? Hey, and some adults just walk by without kissing the mezizah. Very, please and thank you is not a childish thing, okay? The fact that we demand children to say thank you and please, and we don't demand it from adults, or we don't sometimes practice it on our own, is not because it's something that children are supposed to be doing. It's a big mistake if anyone thought it's not, okay? And, and you'd be surprised. I mean, it might sound funny. You're laughing. And how many shulam bias problems start because my wife never says thank you. And what will she answer? We say, you need a thank you? Need a thank you? Well, yeah, I need a thank you, right? When your kid does something you want to say thank you, it's not childish. So what I'm trying to get to is that if father and mother um, are very appreciative people, very polite, and always say please, and always say thank you, that's definitely modeling something very healthy. And even if it doesn't work short term and your child doesn't pick up on it right away, very often, and I've seen this and I've helped people with this and I got feedback about this, that yeah, sometimes just saying a lot of pleases and saying a lot of thank yous, very many, and saying thank you so much and, and, and saying it in a nice way, I really appreciate that, it definitely uh, does something for children. And, and that's really what Chinuch, I think, is all about. Um, you know, that, you, that, you're teaching, that you're teaching how to do things. So remember that teaching is not about controlling, and especially when your ego might be involved, it's worth taking a little different approach. So let's go on to the next question, okay? Thank you so much for your classes and advice. One of my children is definitely a success story based on your guidance. Okay, Baruch Hashem. My question is how to deal with two nine-year-old twins, nine-year-old twins, both UV, okay, both sensitive children, 
challenging. They are extremely competitive and both need to be at the center of attention at all times. I see that when one goes up, the other one goes down. They can't share success. How do I handle them? Okay, it's a very good question. Okay, talking about difficult children or challenging children, we spoke about many times, and, and, and you know, it's definitely something we'll keep on talking about in Hashem. What do we do when I have two of them? And what do I do when they're both the same age? Okay, two twins, and they can't share success, and it's very competitive, and I see that you know, they're, they're both, uh, they're not handling each other's successes. So, uh, well, the first thing I want to say is that it's definitely, definitely difficult dynamics. And I mention this because very often, you know, a situation comes like, what do I do? I don't know, this is, this, is a, this is a challenge. I'm not saying that this is a checkmate at all. I mean to say that, yes, yeah, sometimes there's not always a simple, a simple solution. I'm just mentioning it. You know, like, like many times when you have a, a certain limitation, a child has a certain limitation or a certain deficiency or whatever it may be, whether it's a medical problem or whatever else, it's very hard. You know, when a child is learning disabled, how do I compliment? You could always come up with ways to do things, but I'm saying that it's true that there are situations that are definitely difficult. Now, my short piece of advice in this situation would be that instead of trying to have them sheer success, right, try to give some individual attention. And sometimes we don't realize how, how shy that is. I mean, it's a well-known thing with twins, and just recently I was dealing with two separate cases of twins in similar situations that were a lot of competition, um, even just on one end. In other words, one was feeling very uh, competitive or challenged by the other one's success, right? Most people know that when it comes to twins, when you have the choice, only when you have the choice, and when it's the right choice, um, you, don't, you don't put them in the same classroom, sometimes you even put them in separate uh, moises. Why? Because we understand that too close is difficult. What we don't realize is sometimes that at home, when they are close, it doesn't either have to always be together. They might be able to sleep in separate rooms, even though it might look funny. Maybe. Not, 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 not because they're fighting, but because maybe it's just healthy for each one of them to have one little brother in their room and they be the big one instead of competing. Or maybe you can give them each separate quality time instead of doing everything together because they're the twins or the twins are coming. And you might be surprised that sometimes they don't have to shear as much as you thought they had to shear. So when people aren't shearing success, sometimes it's just not a shidduch. Now, the reason why I'm saying the word shidduch is because when it comes to a shidduch, people might understand, well, it's not a good shidduch, right? Well, the fact that they were born together and they have to be a, a shidduch doesn't mean that they have to get along like, like, like two um, you know, nice brothers. It could be that for many, many things, um, the attack cannot match. So I think it's, it's, very, it's very important to try to give them each their individual attention, let them both succeed separately and both get complimented separately and both shine and thrive separately so that they don't feel that they're taken away from each other. And so that's something that you could try. And again, this, the parents may have tried that already. I'm just mentioning it. Uh, one more thing I want to say is that sometimes we don't even realize how much we point, we focus on their struggle so much. In other words, very often you find yourself saying something like, you're always fighting. Why can't you forget him? Why? Instead of doing that, when we try to give a lot of positivity and good feeling and all that, you know, sometimes it just takes away from the negativity. It doesn't emphasize the struggle that they're feeling between themselves. But again, there might be much more to it, and if such a situation has to be uh, discussed one-on-one, that, that might be the best thing to do to get some, some healthy, clear guidance. Okay, um, so the last question is a Shalom Bias question, and it's a feedback from a previous class that somebody left. Um, you discussed that when a husband or wife let the other go on vacation or spend money, that it's okay. Okay, so he's referring to a class, I don't remember which, but uh, I can resonate with the idea that sometimes your wife wants to go on a certain vacation, so you let her go, right? You have Husbands that let the wife go to Florida and spend time with her with friends or with siblings or spend money on something. I feel that this is usually not coming from a good relationship where each really care for each other. Rather, two people who coexist and allow each other to live. Shouldn't the relationship be deeper than that where instead of letting the other person spend money or go take care of himself or herself, they should actually be taking care of each other? So, yeah, you got the question. Basically asking, like, you know, okay, but David, you want to let your wife go on vacation somewhere, so you let her go. But isn't it healthier and better if you actually do want to do things together and not just 
you know, exist like roommates, coexist like roommates, and say, you know what, whatever you want to do, you could do. I'm not getting in your way, you don't get in my way. So people get stuck on this very often, and they don't like to hear it, and I, I want to I elaborate just, just a few minutes to, to explain this. That's why, even though it's, it's more like a feedback, but I, I want to discuss it more. Of course, when everything's fine, and people enjoy each other, and they're two little birdies in the cage, and they like each other, and they like doing everything together, and they care for each other, and everything's wonderful in the storybook, in the coloring book, beautiful. Beautiful, not a question. Nobody should look at it and say, hey, one of them must be controlling the other if they always want to go to the same place. Or if they like spending so much time together, I'm afraid that one of them is, is telling the other one what to do. Not necessarily. There are situations, there are relationships, a Hashem, couple likes each other, they like going to the same bungalow colony, they like eating the same food, they like spending time in the same way, and it's wonderful. The question is, what happens when that doesn't happen? In other words, is it a problem, the fact that sometimes a couple has a very, different, a very big difference of opinion about something? And I'm not talking about where it's a it's across the board, they always have different opinions about something which could be coming from underlying issues and, and a lack of feeling for each other like we mentioned about the Ahava again I'm talking about in general is it a problem, in other words, if a couple of the children are showing everything's fine and they feel like they're connected, everything's wonderful, all of a sudden they start noticing certain differences, is that a problem? so one of the secrets I mentioned again in, this, in the class about the secrets of marriage is that it's totally to be expected and it's one of the things I mentioned in the 10 mistakes that people make in marriage. It's a mistake to think that we always have to want to do the same thing. Now, if you want to do something, and I don't really want to, but I'm still okay going along, and it's worth it for me, and I still like spending time with you enough that even if it's not the place where I want to go, but I'll enjoy myself, that's also wonderful. You should never get stuck on doing things your way and my way, the highway. No, but what happens when we do come to a point where you want to do something, and I really don't want to? Is that a problem? And the answer is, no, it's not a problem at all. It's almost to be expected. Not almost, it's, it's almost to be expected, okay? It's, it's just fine. So if you want something and your spouse wants something, very often a healthy approach would be, you know what, you do your thing, I'll do mine, and we'll meet up again soon, right? I'm going to have a you don't have to come with me. Everyone understands that, right? Or if uh, on a Shabbos morning, you go to Shield. There are women that go to Shield, but you know what, I'll go to this Shield, you'll go to that Shield. Is that really a problem? Now, it may not be coming from the best place, and sometimes it would be even better if you always wanted the same thing. Sometimes not. I don't, I don't even know anymore. You know, I think it's fine. And sometimes people get stuck on it. Well, why don't you want to do what I want? What's the problem? What's the underline? There's no underline. Well, shouldn't you really appreciate it? No, it's just fine. Remember, two people that get married remain two people, and it's fine. And it's not something that should cause a disagreement. It's not something that should be... A, 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 be a, in other words, we look at fights and arguments and then we turn to disagreements and difference of opinion and everything becomes one big mumble-jumble. It's fine. So let people live. Um, and so often, when people could be on the same page about how to handle a disagreement, that would be the healthiest thing. What do we do when we want two different things? What do we do? Well, I think that we should compromise. No, I think we should ask someone else. No, I think we should one time do this and one time do that. I think that because I'm the husband, if you can't even agree on what to do in a disagreement, then you have a problem. But if you understand that when you have a different opinion, there's a way to do something, and you already decided what you're going to do when we disagree, or how to handle it. And you're both very clear about it, and you both feel good about the fact that we know how to handle disagreement. It's fine. Then I think, I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. And I hope that the questioner who's giving this feedback is not getting stuck on this exact point. I can't handle when my wife doesn't want what I want, so why make believe it's okay? No, it is okay. So I want you to remember that it's okay. And I want you to remember that with uh, true Ahava, Ahva Shulam Varayas, we can accomplish very much with our spouses, with our children. I have yourself for many happy and healthy years. Thank you.